0: When I was a kid, my family took lots of family vacations, uh, usually camping. I'm from a family of six, so there's just a lot of us all the time. And uh, when I was a little, little little boy, like maybe seven, eight, nine, like that sweet spot when you just don't know much about the world, we uh, were at a campsite <laughs> and there was a river that flows nearby. It's not really fast flowing, but there was a part where the water builds up and it's kind of a little pond, right? Like it, it, uh, it slows down and... In that area, some people had. Well, we found watermelons. Two or three watermelons just floating in the water. Growing? or like No. No, no, no. Okay. And so I remember my brother shouting, hey, look, we found these watermelons. And immediately he says, let's smash them. <laughs> oh. And so he and my littler brothers destroy those watermelons. They just wreck them. Oh. They, until there's no piece bigger than a quarter. You know, like, wow, it's... It's it just devastation <laughs> Cause they're like okay like, It's like these watermelons washed downstream. Oh, yeah. the stream They got stuck and in this little do. jetty And um About half an hour later A family that was at a campsite a few Spaces away says Somebody smashed our watermelons oh. Turns out they had Put them in the river to keep them cool oh. And um oh. and thanks to my older Brother's oh. shenanigans They just destroyed <laughs> oh, them no did, did you guys I say anything no, no. Oh man. no! So you but I still carry like that this guilt this every day. On. So but you yeah, listen the little to kids the were crying.
1: Like, oh no! What are we going to do?
0: No, how they, they didn't go- have an accent, but they were like the little kids were crying because they were looking Mario. forward to eating those watermelons. Oh my! God. So that's how I became the villain this in my is... own story of life.
2: <laughs> oh, wow!
1: Oh my gosh! Um so for me, uh I went camping with a bunch of my friends in college um a, just a, a, a whole uh, group, a whole gaggle of people um went camping um in what's called the Red River Gorge here. Um, and we had a great time uh, And so the first night we had we had set up camp and you know, it was about maybe a quarter mile away from my truck um which uh, has a big cover on the back um and dylan both of you guys have at least heard of or met dylan he's one of my best friends uh he's he's just a very silly guy uh he he said he's gonna go get um some pepsi from the truck because he is addicted to pepsi he drinks pepsi all the time so he he goes to the Mm -hmm. truck um and he's gone for like a long time um and so we're like should we go check on him and all of us are like nah he's fine he's probably just down in pepsis or something and so we're sitting around the campfire having a good time and um eventually this random guy runs into our campsite and we're freaking out because it's just this random guy and he's like hey um there's a guy in the back he's like in the back of a truck like screaming help um, and he, he pointed us this direction uh, that, that he needed help. And he was stuck in the back of one of your trucks. <laughs> and, so, and so I stand up like, what? And so so, so I um, sprint down there with the guy. And Dylan is like, he's completely in the truck with just like his thighs and like legs sticking out that are just wiggling and sh- like writhing. And he's like, help, help. and the the, the trunk had like the the he opened up the cover and then climbed in like halfway and then the the whole cover came (gasps) down and like cinched him in
0: (laughs) so he was just stuck (laughs) in there
1: so it wasn't hurting him or anything but he was completely stuck and so he had been yelling for like 30 minutes (laughs) and we just couldn't hear him (laughs) until these random hikers came by so um i i helped him out and he's like i was yelling for so long
0: (laughs) it's funnier Uh, if you actually know dylan too
1: yeah he is quite the character and that was that was oh my we all laugh we try not it was one of those where it's like you try not to laugh but like every time it's brought Mm. up it just it it gurgles (laughs)
2: laughter (laughs) so my camping experience it was uh, a group of I think there were five of us. We went to Bass Lake, um, just as a, like a two day camping trip. And uh, we didn't check the weather forecasts. So the first night we were there, it just poured rain, poured rain. Uh, so, and we didn't really have tarps for our tents. Oh my gosh. So water oh, is just dude. like dripping through <laughs> and like p- pouring down on us. And, um, like when I wake up in the morning, I manage to get some sleep miraculously. Uh, there's it, while just like a layer of water around me. Yeah, <laughs> wow, heavy yeah. sleeper. Isn't this is tricky. Yeah, I'm a heavy sleeper, so and then in the morning, uh, we wake up and we find out that one of our coolers of food is just missing. Mm. It's just gone. We have no clue where it is. There's no you know signs of an animal Somebody or anything. Stole it. So I guess someone stole it. And then uh, we go into the lake. I think I think it was the next day we were at the lake. And we go in. And then we get out. And someone's shorts are missing. And it's like <laughs> the most bizarre thing. Because I, I don't know if like, we're being pranked by someone in our own group. Or if oh, someone actually just like stole someone's shorts. And just a, a cooler of food. <laughs> You stay one more day and there's uh somebody is missing. So so the the, the second <laughs> night I just slept in the car. I just and when I woke up it was just like super foggy and I'm just like looking outside I'm just like hmm. So it's like just it kind of like being in a scary movie that was like not super scary.
1: Okay, what if I told the story about um about like yeah we were camping one time we saw these other campers and we were like really hungry didn't bring foods we like stole the (laughs) cooler, and then we started and it like ends up being the same thing (laughs) Um. he's like somehow
2: uh i ruined my pants so i i just saw a pair lying on the ground so i just i just took them for myself
1: oh my god
2: oh my god okay i have a better
1: story i'll edit mine out this one is the this is the best story i'm so sorry i've got to tell i've probably told this one before um i'm so ready so this is the so this is the hardest i've ever laughed in my life um we went we were camping uh at bass lake and it was like a church camp thing um and oh, all yes. of the leaders like all the college age or whatever like the the leaders of the teams uh when it when it got dark and you know all the the kids are starting to go to bed like <laughs> we're all all the leaders are like let's do. let's go skinny dipping bro and so uh, we're all like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go skinny dipping. Um, so naturally, we invite the girls. Uh, none of them want to come. So uh, a bunch of guys <laughs> just are like, we're going to go skinny dipping. So we go into this lake. And this is night one. We have not been to the lake yet. This is like the first night. So the leaders are really trying to uh, send a good message. So So we're going out. It's probably like midnight. And we go to the lake. Um, and we walk to where the lake was last year because we had camped at the same place the year before and we go to where the shoreline was and it's not there. And so we keep walking and it's, it takes forever to get to the shoreline. And we realize it was because of the drought that the, the water level had gone down like a ton. Um, so we eventually get to the lake and we're like, geez, um, this is way lower. Um, and so we're all standing around, you know, just, there's like six or seven guys who are just awkwardly like, uh, so, uh. Who's going to go first? (laughs) And this one guy, I hope he's listening. His name's Dan. Uh, He he just goes, y'all are wussies. And just rips off his shirt, drops trowel drops drops underwear and just sprints off naked into the lake and so we're all just laughing and he runs into the lake and he's sprinting like really fast and so it gets like knee deep and he keeps running and it remains knee deep and so he keeps (laughs) running and it stays knee deep <laughs> so, so there, there are two full moons out that night and we're watching him just sprinting through the lake that is not getting deeper it's just not. Getting, he must have ran for a full half mile just in deep water butt naked <laughs> and so he just keeps running and keeps running and eventually just falls down prone <laughs> And we're on the ground, we're in the mud laughing, like just losing our and and he crawls all the way back, just too embarrassed to run naked back.
0: Oh man. That was oh,
1: that is the time in my life I've laughed the hardest. It was a great camping experience.
0: Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, episode twenty, the Ranger. It's time to put on our Legolas
2: hats and uh, snipe some bad guys. Does Legolas wear a hat? No. no. Is Legolas a ranger? What, is he not a ranger? Is he, yeah. Is he not yeah. a ranger? I'd say he's or a, is fighter he a fighter archer. But he also I don't know. Has That's tough. And he's an elf. So.
1: So let's mm. if you if we get into the Lord of the Rings lore Strider <laughs> uh is defined literally as a ranger um right. in the okay. beginning um but later throughout the series I'd say that uh that Aragorn is actually who is Strider. Uh spoiler alert for the first 20 minutes of uh, beginning of the Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring. Um he he's more of a fighter throughout but um I think the Ranger, the reason this is kind of confusing is the Ranger is a class that suffers from, I think worse than any other class, that they are a jack-of-all-trades master of none. Do you guys agree or disagree?
2: Um, um
0: I disagree. Well, yeah, what are they a master of aside from ranged DPS? What are they a master of? No,
1: what are they a jack-of-all-trades that's, that's my point. They're so, not a master of anything. I feel
2: like anything. the Bard is a better jack-of-all-trades
1: but the bard, I don't know. When you say like, oh, this is what a bard does. This is what a bard does. People go, oh, that's pretty cool. When you say what a mm-hmm. ranger does, oh, you can track your favored enemy in your favored terrain. People <laughs> are like, oh, uh, okay. Well, <laughs> but like other is. than that. So... <laughs> They're a half spellcaster. (laughs) They're a decent melee option. They're a decent ranged option. Um, They have elements of kind of the druid and the ranged fighter. Um, They don't get amazing spells. um, And all their core features are kind of um, meh. And they're good at a lot of things, but they don't stand out.
2: They don't stand out. So I have kind of a controversial... Point to make. Lay it out, Dave. So the ranger is actually very mechanically strong. Whoa! Now that's
1: uh, that's an unpopular now, ooh, opinion, Dave. Ooh, ooh.
2: So let me explain myself. So in all of D D, there are five uh, E specifically is what I'm talking about. There are a lot of different mechanics, mm-hmm. and some of them are more common than others. Some of them are more prevalent than others. Mm -hmm. So, last in our class series, we talked about the Paladin. Now, the Paladin is strong because they have a lot of utility in all of the mechanics that are commonly used by Game Masters. The Ranger has a lot of mechanical interactions, which most Game Masters do not take into account. Which is why, in most games, the Rangers are weak. Because terrain never becomes an issue. Because exploration tracking enemies, an issue. exploration, survival, oh, that's a good all point. of those things are relatively uncommon because most people are focused on combat or role playing, uh, role playing. and those are the that's two main. interesting. Those wow. are the two main mechanics and the classes that oh, are good the at those. the other pillar
1: is ignored: mm-hmm. exploration.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. I, so I, I'm interested in this. That's that's why the Ranger, so in from a game perspective, if you look at all of the rules, and if all of the rules came up consistently and kind of well-roundedly in 5e, the Ranger would be a be- well-balanced class, but because most game masters don't take into account all of the other mechanics that 5e offers, and they're mostly thrown out, like having to scavenge for food, that's not usually uh-huh. a, a thing, they seem
0: very weak. Wow, That's I've interesting. never perspective before. Yeah, I haven't either. I subscribe to this podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, cause see, cause I like they push with 5e the three pillars of encounters. There is the role play aspect, like the social charismatic aspect, there is the combat aspect, and then there is the exploration. And of all the three pillars, exploration is the one that is largely ignored because Mm -hmm. i think the reason is that exploration is kind of a visual um geographic almost geometrical thing and Mm -hmm. because of that it's hard especially in theater of the mind games to portray exploration in a creative way and the ranger yeah like they have they have like a utility belt full of cool stuff that they can use for that Mm -hmm. pillar but like you said especially for survival Yeah, but Dungeon Masters ignore that pillar a lot of the time. Oh man, that Yes. This is interesting. I I did not expect I thought we were all going to crap on the Ranger for the most of this episode. But that really does change the perspective. (laughs) That's yeah.
2: So when you look at it from that perspective, the Ranger is like really interesting and really strong and they have a lot of tools, but because it yeah, it just comes down to game masters neglecting those aspects of the game. And it's not necessarily a bad thing that they neglect it because, you know, that that's the style of game that they want to play and they don't necessarily want to have a more exploration-focused game. But whenever I have played exploration-focused games, the Rangers, they're really strong and they have a lot of really cool abilities. I know I've played in a couple of Will's games where he's run hex crawls and things like that and I've played a Ranger and I've seen other people play Rangers and, there, and just being able to move through terrain more quickly and being able to track enemies and know how many people are there gives you a lot of utility that is most commonly lost in most games.
0: So, yeah. in my opinion, um, 5th edition D&D doesn't really give the DM tools for how to run these kind of exploratory games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no procedure. There's no tips. Um, if you think about like a board game that says like, okay, here's step one, two, and three. Just do this over and over and that's your game. Um and then D not only ignores this thematically, but also mechanically. And then when they do have it in their adventures in the um Out of the Abyss and the Cholt game, and also apparently uh the Giants game, the yeah, Storm Giants yeah. Rage, Fury, um, they give you a hex map to use, but they don't tell you how to use it. And so um what I have noticed is that when there is a ranger in the game it goes from, like, if you don't have a ranger, then exploration will be tough. But when you do have a ranger, exploration is irrelevant. Because all of their tools are so good. They push it from just being like, oh, well, you're equipped and you're prepared now. It's like, look, now you cannot be lost. You will not run out of food. And yeah, you will, it's like um, an auto-solve. And yeah, they, they the the class solves this entire pillar of the game that With is the sort snap of, of a finger. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what it's... bothers me about it.
1: So let me... I got to address that, Will. Um, I think you said thematically they don't address exploration. I would wholeheartedly disagree. I think thematically they push exploration pretty hard as one of the pillars of the games, especially in like the Dungeon Master's Guide. But they don't give concrete ways to address it. Because 5th edition is mostly theater of the mind. And you have Mm -hmm. to, for exploration you have to rely on the talent of the dungeon master to really get that pillar of exploration to shine. Because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first pillar that almost any dungeon master, honestly, you could replace anyone at the table and they could be the dungeon master and they could control combat, right? It might not be as Mm -hmm. fair or as cinematic or as fun, but they could do the math and keep combat going social aspects are the next one that's harder to do suddenly you need a dungeon master that can do maybe accents or impressions or is able to weave kind of social intrigue into the game i think the next hardest one to do is exploration like that is of the three pillars the hardest one to do because you have to weave a narrative into all of the players at the table into their minds while also giving it kind of a giving it direction and giving you kind of geometric areas to explore, like all of that, that's exceptionally hard to do. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that is, I don't know, I think that's why it's ignored. Because you're like, I can just rely on social and combat. And and we'll just, when they're exploring, just roll a few nature rolls, roll a few survival rolls,
0: and they'll be out of it, you know? I think that the problem is, is that, to make exploration into a game or even just a subsystem that's entertaining. Um, you have to change the type of game that D&D is trying to model. So yeah, D&D yeah. 5 is much more of a power fantasy where you play as these amazing superheroes where even a level one where you are just at your weakest because you can be one shot by a couple goblins. Um, you're still more powerful than like a fifth level first edition D&D hero. Um, and so if you're yeah. playing a game where you are attracting food and water and And um, diseases and um, basically all these things that nobody cares about. Even, like, gold. Like, gold doesn't really matter in D&D because you don't have anything to spend it on. But that's a different topic. Oh, I disagree. (laughs) In the rules as written, what is there to spend gold on? I agree.
1: I think the bottom line is, like, what you're saying is these people are essentially superheroes. And it's, like, how Mm -hmm. compelling... Would an episode of Justice League be if they're trying to scavenge uh, for, you know, like, like resources? It's just like, okay, right, get if you're playing, to the part where they're fighting Darkseid.
0: Right. Like, how exciting is Oregon Trail really? Like, you, oh. you have to be in the mood oh, to play Oregon Trail. G- you don't always want it. Oh, that's there are some great, great. There are some great drinking games for
1: Oregon Trail, though. <laughs> 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 no, well, I agree. I'm saying, like... It, it's not that exploration fun. Mm-hmm. is hard to make compelling. And I think that was my point is like, you can make combat fun, the easiest socially mm-hmm. it's a little harder, but you can make social encounters fun exploration. Yeah. I mean,
0: I don't, it's I still take don't know how
1: exceptionally creative minds in order to make it work. Um, and in order to make it something they want to do, you know? And I think that's why tomb of annihilation, uh, for fifth edition, it makes the dungeon master flex their muscles and think about random encounters and terrain and like kind of the geographic area of the island as something to conquer as well as the social and combat encounters um but that that's another story mm-hmm. uh, but yeah exploration is it's hard and going back to the rangers that's what they do well but they kind of are solving a problem like like David said, they're solving a problem that dungeon masters don't even present in the first place. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And I think in in that regard, that is why rangers seem weak. So I think if we're if we're talking about what do rangers need to be better, I think that they do need some sort of buff to their either their combat abilities or their social abilities and then maybe tone down a little bit on their utility in terms of terrain and survival because okay. those aren't necessarily as relevant
1: okay well um, i mean i think so now that we've gotten to the philosophy of the ranger in fifth edition um let's just get yeah. down to bare bones and to define what a ranger is
0: um thematically um and conceptually in D. So the ranger is the warrior of the wilderness and the master of beasts. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if Legolas really is a ranger because he doesn't have a beast companion. This is more like, um, oh, I don't know, like if you combine a druid and a ranged fighter, right? They have a strange connection to the wilderness that's really new. Um, uh, From reading the player's handbook, I've learned that they are also the protectors of civilization, even if they don't like civilization. So there's a interesting idea of these um, enclaves that are out in the woods, and they just keep evil at bay, and most people never know they exist, and these rangers will never go into civilization to say, you know, here's what I did for you. That's weird to me, because um, none of my <laughs> rangers have ever done that. Um, rangers have a very narrow selection of spells to complement their martial prowess. And when I say narrow, I mean mm-hmm. narrow. And then um, I guess <laughs> the last thing is uh, why... Why is the favorite enemy, because every ranger gets to choose a favorite enemy, why is it so hated? Mm-hmm. And that's a question I never really ask my players when they're making a ranger, but I think that's a great, um, it's a small but great thematic hook into mm-hmm. the ranger's background.
2: When I think of a ranger, I think of the, the biggest thing for me that I think of is a traveler. So a ranger is someone who is exceptionally good at navigating specific areas, whether that be... Um, through combat and fighting the beasts that reside in that area or just knowing the terrain knowing the paths knowing how to get the most out of the land so that they can progress through it they're they are a professional traveler from what i understand you're saying that they
0: range around the
2: terrain (laughs) (coughs) yeah yes so uh,
1: when i think of the ranger Um, And this is kind of going back to your civilization. Like they protect civilization even though they don't necessarily like it. Um, When I think of The Ranger, I think of John Wayne in The Searchers, which is an old Western, which is a fantastic movie you guys should watch. Um, But in The Searchers... Um, I guess I shouldn't have said you should watch it and then I'm going to kind of spoil the end. This isn't really spoiling, but um, <laughs> so at the end of The Searchers, John Wayne um, defeats the bad guy. They accomplish the quest. They they do the right thing. And John Wayne uh, is entering kind of the, the saloon. Like there's like the, you know, the, the double doors, like, you know, the Western trope of that, you know, the the two doors there. And the doors swing open and you see John Wayne about to enter what's metaphorically civilization again. And he's walking forward and then he looks and he turns around and he realizes like in that moment that he's not meant to be in civilization. He's meant to protect civilization. And, and so he's out there killing bad guys in the badlands in the desert, you know, in the Western he, he's, he's doing the right thing and doing all of this tough, gritty work in the outlands, you know, but as far as civilization goes, he's keeping them safe, but he'll never be a part of them. And I really think that is kind of the epitome of the ranger. Is The ranger is like, I am supposed to be on the frontiers of civilization, being like the first bulwark against the wilderness, but kind of feels like an alien inside of what he's actually protecting.
0: That's really fascinating. Yeah, it's like the, uh, the, her- that,
2: the hermit.
1: The outlander?
0: Yeah. Or the or the Outlander,
2: oh. both of
1: them. Yeah, Out, Outlander or Hermit work as that. It's like, yeah, they're on the borders and they don't feel they don't feel appreciated inside civilization. And they're like, I have to just. It reminds me almost as Rust Cole from True Detective.
0: <sighs> World needs bad men. We keep the other bad men from the door. Man, I love True Detective. All right, when prepping for this week's episode. I learned a lot about the ranger and Mm -hmm. I thought much like David that they were just sort of a misunderstood class. But now I see that mechanically there's just some some decisions that were made, um, that are just less useful, less powerful than other classes. So we'll get into that and I'll point them out as we go along. So the first, um, they get what's called a favorite enemy. You choose any type of creature, fey, fiend, undead, even humanoid. And you choose one type of humanoid, such as goblin or Mm -hmm. human. Um, And you would think that would give you some sort of bonus to damage or even the ability to hit them. No. What you get is advantage (laughs) on checks to recall information about them. So he's like, look there. There's a giant over the hill. Like, are you good at killing them? He's like, I know everything about them. Do you know their weak spot? Let me roll to see if I remember anything about them. And then they get no other mechanical bonus um, for that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Wait.
2: So much hate. Um. Oh, I, I, think, I like, love the that David were is here. To, I'm okay. I'm the I'm the I'm defender of the ranger away. tonight, boys. Wow, I thought David was ranger. going to just
1: poop all over every core feature and archetype, but no, David is the defender of the ranger, and I love this.
2: Yes, so I think that as a GM, something that you could do to easily, you know, offset that is if they do make a successful check. Recall information about it. They would get some sort of boost in combat. Like why? It's like oh yeah, I remember fighting fighting these before. Maybe I get like a plus two to damage rolls, or I get advantage or whatever on or, the, in your first attack.
0: Uh, later on in the episode, we're gonna get to the um, unearthed Arcana class, which just gives you a plus two damage to your favorite enemy in addition to uh-huh. stuff you already got. So what David's saying um, is a great idea because the designers have also uh, mm-hmm. made that happen in the, uh, the modification, the test. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that is the favorite enemy. They also get, um, natural explorer. We've already talked about that. That's, uh, they can't get lost. Um, they have a favorite terrain. Um, I still think it's a, a bridge too far where it just ruins the idea of exploration. So even in, um, uh. I don't know, it's just such a, a puzzle for the game to solve. Of like, okay, exploration is kind of a terrible thing, but here's the ways that can make it interesting. Like you can get lost and you can find things you weren't looking for. And the ranger says, nope, I will literally never be lost yeah and i will always that is, that is really you know, interesting you see like it there's almost a
1: chicken before the egg scenario of like they're solving a problem that doesn't exist and then the dm might try to make it exist but then the ranger automatically solves it so it's like this weird cycle of not much happening
0: like in my perfect world i would have just really firm and simple rules for exploration in the uh probably in the player's handbook or in the dmg and then i would give the ranger all kinds of bonuses to these things but not just like oh you you just succeed there's no chance of failure like i would give them a a bonus so there is a small chance of failure
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, i agree i also think that um just adding more encounters can help highlight what the ranger does in a party while still giving the party things to do
0: Mm. I have uh, a question, follow up for this. Okay. So, um, David is playing in my Tomb of Annihilation game, mm-hmm. and we've run three sessions so far. Um, he missed the first one, but in the second one, it was entirely travel, yes. uh, hex crawling. And I had a, a planned series of random events every day. So, mm-hmm. the entire session was just, I think, six days of travel, okay. very dense with encounters. And this third session was, I skipped over all the encounter events and moved right from point a to point b so they moved right along with the story so david which of these was more fun
2: hmm that's a good question i feel like they're both fun like i'm just so everyone else i'm playing a fighter uh ranged fighter ranged fighter we
0: Uh, do have a ranger in the party
2: we do have a ranger in the party and i feel like it's been useful and the i like the exploratory aspect in the first session or the first session that i played in just because i feel like it makes the world so much more alive rather than it's like oh i'm just going to story point to story point and this and there's things along the way like you run across a guy who was just being attacked by bees and we and we saved him (laughs) or we or we're just like sailing along in our in our canoes and we just see the remnants of an ice battle where there's just frozen creatures everywhere and there's ice in this oh just cool super hot jungle and that's like super interesting and thematic and but it's also fun you know doing story things so i, I like having them sprinkled in mm-hmm. but the random encounters along the way so
1: so my question david is can you tell when will who's your dungeon master is um doing the point to point just like all right travel 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 or when there are things attacking? Or does it feel natural enough that you really can't discern the difference between the two?
2: Um, hmm. hmm.
0: That's a good question, too.
2: So, uh, the second one definitely felt more like a story. And the first one definitely felt more like an exploration. Random. Hmm. So, it, it kind of... It didn't feel like it was random. In the sense that, oh, like this weird enemy A vampire up appears. It was, it was still <laughs> very story-esque. But it was Mm -hmm. the focus was more on, you know, traveling through and the exploration of traveling through rather than the focus being on the story of what's happening in the world for the second one.
0: I see. So um, just my little behind the the curtain here, what I'm using is the Tomb of Annihilation Companion. And what it, it it's just an amazingly useful book. And this guy has he used the random tables in the Tomb of Annihilation, but he assembled 30 days of travel. And so he has a um, almost like a cohesive story told through this. And so you, you say, okay, day two of travel, read day two of the um, the random encounters. Oh, that's he cool. He's strung them together in such a way that, that they're very cohesive, and they tie together all kinds of other little parts of the story that might otherwise be overlooked, um, such as the story of artist Simber, which um, you'll learn about him Dude, when you play the game.
1: I've, I've got a lot to say about him, but yes.
0: Oh, I know. Um, so, yeah, it... Maybe there is a fine balance between like instead of having to roleplay every single day with mm-hmm. a random encounter, it's like, okay, you travel for two days and then this happens. And you travel for seven days and this happens. And then you arrive at your destination. Um, but I don't know. It's it's a balance I haven't quite discovered yet. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that that is one of the balances of of Dungeons and Dragons is like I I think the perfect DM, if he's making these encounters, I don't think the players should be able to tell when random tables are being used i think it's bad right. if you're yeah. like all right the dungeon master's giving us a random batch of enemies i think it's way better mm-hmm. when it's like oh is is this a plot thing or is this nothing and you can't you can't discern so you're, you're like you might be looking for clues when there are there are none or you're look you're or you're just thinking oh this is nothing when there are clues everywhere i love not being able to tell the difference.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the the goal here is to have a uh, the line between planned and random is so blurred mm-hmm. that the yes, players yeah. are just in the game; they're just experiencing everything. Yeah. Yes. That's back great. to the ranger. All right. Um, back to getting on the core features. Um, all right. So you get a fighting style. A lot of these martial classes get to choose um, how they specialize. So that's archery, defense, dueling, or two weapon fighting. Um, they also get here's another great. Ranger skill. They get what's called primeval awareness. They can spend a spell slot to detect one type of creature within one mile for one minute. Did you oh, hear the crickets? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so if you're playing it, I've heard yeah, of, um, I mean... it's called a monster hunter style campaign where it's almost like Pokemon, but you're actually just going out and killing big beasts and like getting mm-hmm. their hide and stuff in that type of game. This could be really powerful, but if for the average campaign or an urban crawl or whatever, um, Maybe not as useful unless you're tracking a single yeah. Goblin in the city. Of I feel deep, like that could be useful.
2: I <laughs> mean, if you're looking for a specific type of creature, that's really useful. Like, but super that's not it depends common. On the creature and the location. So you know a vampire's nearby. I like that's and you're trying to kill the vampire. That's
1: this feels like you're looking at a different game and you're being like, oh my gosh, that's an incredibly useful class, and then transporting <laughs> that to a completely uh-huh. different game. And you're like, oh, that uh-huh. that could work in a in a different game, but like, no, give me mean, like I don't, I, don't I, know. I think
0: there is a specific scenario in which this is a useful skill, mm-hmm. but I think the type of game that D and D is in general most of the time, it's much less useful. Because mm-hmm. it's a creature type, right? Maybe if it was even a specific creature, because then it's like a scry spell. Very yeah.
2: That could also be <clears throat> useful, but then that would. That could potentially be super strong.
0: Yeah, because you get that at just uh, like first level, third level. Yeah. All right. Um, here's another great one. Um, they have lands, stride. They can walk over difficult terrain without penalty. I can see this being useful um, if you're playing with a battle map and you have a lot of difficult terrain. Uh, it just means that you, you ignore it. So um, th- that just gives the ranger a lot of mobility, which I think could be useful. So, yeah, so yeah, um, mobility
2: isn't generally used in 5e, from the games that i've played in it's not like a difficult thing but it is if it were used it would be mechanically very strong because terrain difficult terrain cuts your speed in half so just being able to move
0: twice as far is a nice thing i feel like that sums it up really well david like if it were used it would be useful and there's just so much (laughs) that's not used so let's uh continue wow um, this one's actually really good. It's called Hide in Plain Sight. It says you slather mud on yourself to gain plus ten stealth as long as you're still Wait, and not taking That's what it says action. that in the so,
1: book. It says slather mud yep. on
0: yourself. <laughs> it exactly <laughs> says that. That's not
1: true, really. Oh, uh, let's see. If my fun. gosh, this uh, is this is insane. Like is I'm seeing seen all
0: this. Genesis? Hide in Plain Sight starting at tenth level. Remember, this is tenth level. This is when monks are like bending reality and wizards are casting ridiculous spells. You can spend one minute creating camouflage for yourself. You must have access to fresh mud, dirt, plants, soot, and other naturally occurring materials with which to create your camouflage. Once you're camouflaged, you can try to hide by pressing yourself up against a solid surface, such as a tree or wall, and that is at least as tall and wide as you. You gain a plus 10 bonus to dexterity stealth checks, long as you remain there without moving or taking actions. Once you move, you must camouflage yourself again to gain this benefit. So oh if that doesn't gosh. say okay, so... the, just how...
1: Ugh, so, okay, this coupled with the next one called Vanish, <laughs> so you can use hide as a bonus action, and you can't be tracked unless someone is using magic. Like, plus that you get plus 10 stealth if you just pile mud on yourself. This feels like you are, the, really good. You are the last person alive in a horror movie. Like, all of these would be incredibly <laughs> useful if you were the final girl in a horror movie. But, like, <laughs> I mean, like, most campaigns aren't Arnold Schwarzenegger fighting the Predator by himself or, while oh, I all wish. his compatriots lay <laughs> dead. <laughs> you know? Like, all of these are super cool if you are playing as a singular character mm-hmm. against an environment that's very,
0: very specific. This is, this is really interesting. See, I, I we're learning a lot. Um, and I should point out that <laughs> one of my players in my current Tomb of Annihilation game, he is playing, I think, an elf or a half elf. And as long as he... Um, what is it? So it's always... The weather is very misty and always very rainy in chillt. Almost all the time. And he says if he stands still in the rain, he is considered hidden. So I, I guess I should oh. check his notes on that. But, but he's mechanically a very knowledgeable player. What? Um, but yes and so he says he's got some feature interaction the
2: woodland yeah whatever, woodland elf with i think the, uh, i'd have to look it up
0: yeah and so he's always like the enemies don't see him so he'll be standing still in a combat and i said the zombie goes for you and he says it's raining so i'm invisible i'm like oh my gosh and so he doesn't even need hide in plain sight at 10th level he doesn't need vanish because he just stands still because and maybe that's just because he's utilizing his environment very well
2: well it's not that you're considered yeah. invisible it's just that you have you have a benefit to stealth rolls like you can attempt to hide even when it's raining. Yeah. So so, so yeah. I know this and, um get, this as well as getting that plus 10 like that's still like you can attempt to hide while just standing still in the rain that's insane. Mm-hmm. That's really good.
1: So I know this episode is kind of turned into a lot about uh the Tomb of Annihilation campaign because I have already played it and Will is running it currently. Um but I think in general, if you have someone that's in the favored terrain, like if the ranger is like, I pick this as my favorite terrain, um, Mm. that, yeah, it can make them very OP in that terrain. Um, And it's like, okay, maybe that mechanically balances them out. Um, But how I approach Tomb of Annihilation is I made them do about six to eight sessions just as normal characters in the normal world. And then they, surprise, went to Chult to do the Tomb of Annihilation. So I didn't have any characters who are tailor-making their characters to be perfect on an exotic jungle island. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it it ended up working way better because, yeah, I didn't have any rangers who were like, "Uh, my featured terrain is uh, jungle exclusively. And it's like, oh... So I didn't have saying, anything like that because
0: <laughs> you're saying you had a better experience when the ranger did not have access to their favored terrain features. Wow! And that proves my point. exactly.
1: <sighs> well. Well. Okay. Let me ask this real quick. What are the terrain options?
0: Um. Let me scroll up. 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 Four
1: favored terrain:
0: Arctic, Coast, Desert, Forest, Grassland, Mountain, Swamp, and Underdark. And um, one of the the developers of D and D says that Forest also counts as Jungle.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, and you get to pick one or two. Only one. And then you, right. get,
2: uh, you get additional it. types at
0: 6th and 10th level. Yeah, so by the time you're 10th level, you'll have 3. Oh, Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Let's go to the next one. Okay. Feral Senses. It says you can easily attack creatures that you can't see, and now you can detect invisible people. That's nice. Very nice. Foe Slayer. This one's great. Add your Wisdom Modifier to your attack or your damage roll against a favorite enemy and you must decide when you start the attack you don't do both which the wisdom modifier is usually going to be three or maybe four so increase accuracy or increase damage a little bit only against your favorite enemy that you chose when you made your character
1: and what level is this do you get this at
0: as at level 20 your level oh. 20 ability ah, 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 is to add plus 5 to hit or plus 5 damage to... Well, you're going to have three types of enemies at level 20. To to three types of en- energy. Three types of enemies is
2: like... Wow. If you choose like undead, you choose humanoid, and you choose...
0: Well, you have to have specific humanoids. Humanoid,
2: so you choose... Um, this is... But, guys, you're gonna this be is a capstone... That's not that cl- bad.
1: This is a capstone feature. I uh-huh. mean, at this level, the Conquest Paladin... It's causing everyone around him to cower in fear as he is slitting throats. This is just this is pennies on the dollar, as they say in economics class. <laughs> like, the the Paladin I, is an
0: avatar of his god at this point, where he just hulks out and like causes fear to all who gaze upon his unsightly form. And this guy's like, Oh yeah, I can add five damage or five to hit sometimes. Heaven forbid Andy's I fight an enemy.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! But you also have to look at wow. it as the ranger at that point. They're gonna have spells that are better than what fifth um, level, right? Uh, they're gonna, yeah. Fifth but it's still gonna be generally better. Don't
0: forget the, about the fifth level spells I got at my disposal. Yeah, watch out! I'm gonna well, cast this, this, blade I, storm on you.
1: I cannot so, wait to see this this fifth <laughs> this this twentieth level Brooklyn Ranger that that Will is presenting. I can't wait. <laughs>
2: So you have to um, look at the utility that it has to offer in terms of its spells as well compared to, let's say, the fighter. Because the fighter, all they do is they <laughs> attack people, whereas the ranger has the ability to, you know, cast spells. And they have a lot of unique spells that, are, that can be very good situationally. And they also have a lot of very good situational features as well. I'm yeah, not and I convinced. all right. Let's move into. To, for, well, for me to make fun of this is absolutely
1: absurd because playing with a bunch of level twenties sounds like a uh, a nightmare. <laughs> cluster so, cuss. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a god's darn cluster cuss, and so I don't, I don't know, I, I don't think this bothers me as much as the earlier stuff. But speaking of bothers me. Let's get into the ranger archetypes.
0: Oh, oh okay. Put, uh, time to drink your bone hurting juice because it's going to make you say oof a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oof, oh, oh, oof. All right. The first on the <laughs> docket is the Beastmaster or as we call it in the business, don't choose this one. Okay. So, this. Um, Disagree. So Disagree. There's a, cu- yeah. there's a couple of reasons that the, um, that the Beastmaster in, in the core rules is a little weak. In fact, he's a lot weak. Um, and they explained this really well in a D&D Beyond <laughs> article where they had a really good, like, uh, I don't want to say objective because nobody's really objective, but they had a really good hard look at it and discussed it. So um, you're, you must choose a beast. It must be size medium or smaller. It must have a combat rating of one quarter or lower. So right there, it limits your selection oh, of beasts to things that are generally, yeah, it's very small and very ineffective in general. So unless... It's like an anyway, order. It, th- that's well, I mean, problem. You get this at level three,
2: so you're not going to want to have anything that's big at that level well not unless you want to be powerful or do damage <laughs> i mean at that level it's still comparable the ranger is still i don't know if you comparable. have like an honor right, but... fighting on your side i don't know if that's you can comparable. have a bear a bear is a quarter a small bear
0: yeah Let's look, just Let's a black bear though
1: just a black bear all
0: right i'm pulling up just the monsters, monsters boys hang on tight We're selecting beast all right, so David and I have been poking around all the CR one-fourth four, one monsters. Um, we have some interesting options. One of them is a boar uh, because it has charge. Oh, buddy. And it hits for 1d6 plus 1 damage, so that's swell. Next is a constrictor snake. Um, it has constrict, which will grapple a target, which is actually pretty good. Because if it's constricted, then everybody can, um, <sighs> you can knock it over and just mess with it. It's great. Uh, and then oddly, surprisingly good damage is a cow, just a regular barnyard cow. That has okay, plus is, six to hit, okay. and it hits for 1d6 plus four damage. Wow. Your cow is an effective that's, fighter. Yeah.
1: That's got to be a bull. Right. It
0: says cow, not bull. It says cow, C-O-W. It's from Bolo's <laughs> Guide to Monsters.
1: Milk milk cow. All right. Milk
0: me good. <laughs> milk me good. All right. So um here's <clears throat> the problem with uh, the current Beastmaster. Um so it says you, can, you as a ranger, use your free action to command your pet to move. So you can always do that, free action. But you have to use your action to make it do anything else, such as attack. So you basically trade your turn of firing your awesome bow, your magic bow, to make your CR 1-4 creature go and scratch a guy. Or make, make your cow kick a guy. <laughs> um, yes, and also, if your pet dies, it takes eight hours to get new, a new pet. But there's no mention of resurrecting your old pet. <laughs> r.i.p right like oh my pet died i'm just gonna get a new one yeah. who cares that i had it for 20 years my constrictor snake you know he's he's gone
2: you can always you know use resurrection magic <laughs> on your pets um i not in
0: real life though well or just have the dungeon
2: master right. hand wave that um so as you
0: as you level up, yeah right yeah um as you level up your pet can use your bonus action to take certain actions as long as it doesn't attack so you can make it do like help or um would aid, whatever, I forget, dodge mm-hmm. um, for a bonus action. That's okay. And then at higher levels, you get bestial Fury. That means you trade your one action to tell it to attack, and now your beast attacks twice, which is, it's all right. Um, and then finally, at, at the highest levels, you get an ability called Share Spells, and spells you cast on yourself are automatically also cast on your pet. So um, I just want to point out here that all of this, in my opinion, has been, by and large, fixed in the Unearthed Arcana um, because it lets your pet be its own person with his own initiative in the party so you just control it like you would a minion uh-huh. and that's really awesome because you have this kind of independence you do um uh, that, that you have and then it, it's just better they also opened up instead of having cr one quarter they give you a list of i think nine creatures to choose from that have a variety of different um stats so it just really balances out a lot better so that is the Beastmaster. just play it on can arcana guys like it's great you're gonna be happy you did yeah Next in line is the Hunter. Um, It says that they are the bulwark between civilization and the terrors of the wilderness. All right. uh, The Hunter gets... Oh, these are great. These are really cool. Um, So this class, I think, is the quintessential... Like, we say Legolas, but it's probably not. But he's just really good at killing things. So you get to choose, when you become this, either Colossus Mm -hmm. Slayer, Giant Killer, or Horde Breaker. And then you level up a little bit. And you get Escape the Horde, Multi-Attack, Defense, or Steel Will which is my high school nickname. <laughs> um, then you get, you level up more, and you get Volley or Whirlwind Attack, which is nice, right? Like, you just multi-attacks. And then finally, you get Evasion, Stand Against the Tide or Uncanny Dodge. So all those, like, if you don't know what they mean, it's just um, focusing on either doing lots of damage to one person or a little damage to a lot of people or um, choosing to be tanky or dodgy and all kinds of... So you mix and match. So choosing this class lets you yeah. really um, skill tree up your guy.
1: Yeah, this subclass is good. I think almost all of the uh, rangers I've had in my games have been hunters. And, yeah, I feel like they're pretty dang good. You know, they are a jack of all trades, not necessarily a master of um, any of them. But, (laughs) yeah, I feel like they're a very good balanced member of the party. You know, if you want to round out a party, a hunter ranger will help with that. They've got a little bit of utility Little bit of survivability, they can do melee or ranged, and they have a little bit of spells. I mean, yeah, yeah, I I, I like the hunter a lot.
0: Um, mm. Dave, so David and I were talking about this uh, during prep, and we pointed out that at the table, the ranger doesn't really feel underpowered. Like it's no. in my opinion, I've never noticed no. a, a ranger being, like, oh my gosh, I'm not dealing enough damage. Um, they seem to be. I agree. They feel yeah. good at the table. Feels yes.
1: good. I think. I think the kind of the reaction against the ranger is like, Oh, the ranger is so mechanically underpowered. It's a little overblown. Mm-hmm. I, I've had several rangers in my games um, and they've been fine. They've mm-hmm. done a, plenty of damage. And I, yeah, I don't think, yeah, I think it's a little overblown. I think there are some mechanical stuff, especially with the beastmaster, Um, But the rest of the ranger stuff, you know, I feel like it, it balances out fine. It's not it's not crazy
2: underpowered or anything, like the naysayers will say. If you're playing a class and you're specifically worried about damage, just play a fighter. Like that's if if that's all you care about is ah oh, I want to do damage, then play a fighter. Don't don't play other classes. Just play the fighter, play maybe a barbarian, maybe a wizard if you want to cast spells. But if that's what you're focused on, then don't don't play a ranger because the ranger has a lot of other things that it has to offer and you're not going to have as much fun as you are if you are doing the most damage if that's what you're focused on
0: yeah i guess it comes down to the fantasy that you think of when you think ranger um and i think by and large the ranger in the book lines up with a lot of what i would expect from a ranger like setting traps and like being alone and like breaking off from the group and being totally capable of surviving even like disguising yourself as mud and just sitting in a tree for a whole day to like watch a camp of like enemies to see, you know, to gather information. Um, there's some cool things you can do, but I think the player really has to be creative to to leverage these seemingly weaker abilities for uh, a gain. All right, let's talk about yeah, I would I agree. Gloomstalker. The Gloomstalker, um, th- as far as I can tell, these are uh, like the Underdark type um ranger so if you think about somebody yeah. who um travels to the underdark a lot um they would be pretty odd and pretty <laughs> weird and messed up so uh, they kinda have access scary. and kind of scary right like you don't want to talk to the guy who lives in the underdark and, mm-hmm. and i ugh. yeah <laughs> it's a cool fantasy <laughs> so they get access to spells like disguise self and fear which is cool because yeah. um, i think just more options for ranger spells is always welcome um they get more attacks they get dark vision they are actually invisible to those with dark vision which i think is unique i don't think that exists anywhere that
1: else. is in- yes that is incredibly good mhm
0: and they also get
2: bonuses to initiative so uh, you get a bonus to your initiative roll equal to your wisdom modifier that's huge which is really nice because they're they're going to be attacking first and then they get bonuses if they do attack first so they they have a lot huh. of they have a lot of they're a quick strike, and they want to strike first. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, a ranger that is an assassin. Yeah. But they're really good at oh, tracking yeah. people.
0: Um, all right, so that is the Gloomstalker. Just a real quick touch on that. And then um, next we have the Horizon Walker, or as I call it, the Planes Walker. For all you Magic the Gathering fans out there, this person just literally <laughs> travels between the planes of existence inside D&D. And so um, if you have this person in your game, um, I think I've written it here... They have a, um, there's a group of people that they work with, like a, um, enclave. Mm-hmm. And if you imagine an enclave of people who are just traveling through the planes to, like, keep things in balance. So oh, sa- yeah. It sounds it's like the like Justice League. Hammer,
1: yeah. Spelljammer yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And they're just coming through and, like, maybe he's just stopping over to be with your party for a, a couple of weeks. Yeah. He's like, I'll help you defeat the death curse, but I must go back to Mechanis." You know? And then he's gone. through <laughs> a <Chira> portal. Um. <laughs> So, speaking of portals, um, so the Horizon Walker gains access to more spells, such as Misty, Step, Haste, and Banishment. They have an innate ability called Detect Portal, which lets you perceive where the nearest planar portal is within one mile. This will change your world building because it necessitates the existence of planar portals in your world. Yeah. I know that personally, I don't think about that kind of stuff. But now it's like, oh, look, the membrane is thin here. And this is why Will Byers was able to push through the, the wall in this, this place, right? Um, that's a, Sorry, David, you haven't watched Stranger Things yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so now, cool. like, you have to think about the Underdark, and you have to think about maybe the high habits or whatever, the, the Great Wheel cosmology, because one person decided to be a horizon walker.
1: Wow, that's, yeah. This is, this class almost seems like, of all the classes in Xanathar's Guide, it's like, what? this crazy idea how did this become a ranger subclass <laughs> like this seems insane it, a class. Like, it just seems fan it it seems fantastical you know and mm. almost that i yeah, mean i guess that really fits is. in dungeons and dragons but it is pretty crazy like
0: pretty fantastic i i, I like it <laughs> pretty fantastical <laughs> um i think so that what you saying that jake makes me think of this um, I think that a lot of people who are starting out playing D&D don't realize how much uh, high fantasy is in the default setting. Oh, yeah. Like, because Yeah. And so you play it like you, th- you think about Game of Thrones or something and you think you're playing that. But then this guy, like let's say you had a low magic setting mm-hmm. and somebody plays Horizon Walker and now there's magic portals in the world. Yeah. Like good. So either you got to veto this, <laughs> this whole ability or this whole subclass <laughs> or you have to change your game. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. it's just an interesting and very quirky um, addition, I think. Whew, and then the last one um, is called the Monster Slayer. We talked a bit about, like, Monster Hunter games. Um, surprisingly, it gives you a spell called Hold Monster, which I think is what a Pokeball does, right? Uh, they, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you get an ability called Hunter Sense that lets you discern a monster's immunities, resistances, and vulnerabilities. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a mark ability that you pick a target and now it'll take extra damage from you and later you will be resistant to damage from them. Um, oh, they have a thing where they can counter other people's spells. It says when you see a creature casting a spell, you can try to stop it. They make a wisdom save or else the spell fails. So it's just interesting to have a mm-hmm. counter spell built into a class feature. Um, huh? yeah, and that's, yeah. that's basically it.
1: Yeah. I feel like this is kind of like the Witcher almost mm, like it's yeah. almost a, yeah um interesting kind of like anti-magic type of class um i had a really cool concept from one of my players where they played a fighter mixed with a monster slayer um i don't know if it was from the ranger class it might have been some unearthed arcana or just a, a different class but they 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 had a really cool character that ended up being a vampire um and it, it was just a cool arc that they had and yeah it did feel kind of Van Helsing it it felt kind of Witcher like yeah i i like the flavor of the subclass
0: so really quickly, I just want to go over the Unearthed Arcana Ranger, or as they call it, the Revised Ranger. Mm-hmm. It is an official thing, but it's not allowed in official play. So if you're at a game store, um, you can't play huh. unless it's out of the book. So tough luck. Um, all right. So the changes are, <laughs> I mentioned before, the favorite enemy. Instead of just giving you advantage to recall information on them, you get plus two damage. And then later on, that becomes plus four, which is just great. Right, like more damage is great. Um, Natural Explorer... Um, they just make it give you advantage on initiative and your attacks to get advantage versus enemies who haven't attacked yet. So that's a low level um, feature that instead of tying in with like this exploration side of the game that might not be handled, um, they give you a very practical and very usable combat feature, yeah. which is the initiative yeah. bump. <clears throat> Prime Evil Awareness, that one was where you spend a spell slot and you get to know all the locations of beasts for a minute. They make it also let you read the minds of beasts and communicate ideas to them telepathically, Mm -hmm. which I think is very cool. Yeah, and it's kind of more of a boots on the ground practical feature because... You interact with beasts all the time if you're in the wilderness. Yeah. Um, so this one was interesting for the revised ranger. Instead of an archetype, which is what they're called officially, they have the ranger conclaves. And maybe this is what I was thinking of. And these are loose associations of rangers who share wisdom and training. So they have like the conclave of the Beastmaster master and the conclave of this and that. And so um, that's what got me excited for the horizon walkers, which would be, you know, two oh, or three, yeah. five like guys of, and yeah. women who are just traveling the planes all the time yeah that's super uh, and then cool. uh, and then uh, the last thing is that the beastmaster pet becomes another party member controlled by the player and no actions are required yeah. it's just that's and that's, and that's pretty, really fun yeah yeah really fun absolutely
1: all right so question i have for you guys for the ranger how do we make this class shine if a player picks a ranger class what can we do to help promote them and, and make their character
0: shine as a ranger um i would so if you're somebody's building a ranger um if it's possible have more outdoor adventures Mm -hmm. have more opportunity for them to show off what they Mm -hmm. can do Um, i always say this when we do class uh features um i want to have a campaign built around the players keeping some great evil from getting through the forest and getting into civilization and being that last bastion like maybe you work for Thornwall, yeah. and you are that last the first and last line of defense um that's interesting to me yeah
1: yeah i i like that i think um it's very important as a dungeon master i, I don't know if this is true for everything but for me i have very elaborate plots and campaigns that are very dramatic and cinematic and I can very much tell my players like, okay, this campaign is going to be incredibly urban or this campaign is going to be very much like in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. Um, And so certain classes or subclasses won't shine in that environment. Um, So I think the Rangers shine immensely in games where you have to travel a lot, games where you're in perhaps their favorite environment a lot. Um, But I think it's good as a dungeon master to say, this campaign will be like this. So when you make your characters be thinking about that, Um, because I'm thinking about my next campaign after my post-apocalyptic one that I'm running right now, it's going to be in, it's going to be almost purely urban. Mm -hmm. Um, And I look at the ranger and I go, there's not many options for an urban ranger. Um, And maybe you could fight against trope and make a cool urban ranger that's maybe like an eco-terrorist or something. I don't know. Um, But, like, I want to make sure my players know what the campaign setting and tone is Mm -hmm. before they create their character. Because the ranger, I think, is one of those classes that really takes a specific tone or concept of a campaign to shine fully.
0: Yeah.
2: I think an urban ranger would be an interesting subclass that they could introduce some sort of someone who has their favorite terrain as urban cities Mm -hmm. and they, something along those lines. I'd I'd have to just work on it See, I I didn't like that that because,
1: because, because for me, I saw they did with the rogue, the rogue has a subclass called the scout and they basically Mm -hmm. made the rogue kind of more ranger Esque, And I'm like, what yeah. the heck? We, we need the opposite. We need the ranger to be more rogue-esque, uh, to, yeah. to be able to survive in a very urban environment. And so, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's it, It's hard to put a ranger in an urban <laughs> setting.
0: Hmm. I would have to look around because I'm sure people have tried to solve this problem. Yeah. Um, I know you can't just say favorite terrain urban because like you're not really doing exploration in urban places, no. but I think there's a lot yeah. of cool ideas you could hook into. Like Maybe you're, like, you know the location of people or certain groups of people at a certain time. I don't know. Um, it's definitely a game, yeah. game design problem that is solvable, though. Yeah, absolutely. And then
2: in terms of playing a ranger, I think that some of the things that you can do is really focus on what the ranger does well so tracking people you can um focusing on anything that has to do with survival you're a master at that and just kind of being a one man show mm-hmm. so you can you have a utility yeah. of doing a lot of different things so if you want to go off on your own and try to sneak ahead of the party or kind of maybe infiltrate and gather information so that other people so you can make a decision that's something that you can do as a ranger Because you have a lot of tools that let you kind of go on your own for a little bit. So take advantage of that. See, this one's tough because I completely agree with David.
1: Um, And in a very roleplay heavy, dramatic situation, the ranger can almost use his or her independence as leverage against the party. And so the party's saying, Hey, we need you to do this. We need to go do this. And the ranger can effectively say, I don't need you. I work better. I work best by myself. And so that gives a lot of cool roleplay options, but it's also very dangerous because suddenly you can have a ranger that goes, Uh, I, I have no reason to be here in the city, or I have no reason to help. On this urban quest or whatever and then suddenly it's like okay i mean i guess you need to roll a new character because mm-hmm. the, the other five guys are walking this way you know
0: yeah this is, that's why it's so important to uh communicate with your players up front the kind of campaign you're running and also just don't pick yes. players that suck mm.
2: yeah
0: <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> wait hold on hold on don't pick characters that suck or as a dm don't, don't, don't players play with people who suck <laughs> no don't don't play with people who suck or don't make bad characters. <laughs> Both of those are are great. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I agree. Sometimes that second
1: one's harder though, because sometimes maybe you live in a very rural area and you've got four friends. It's like, all right, I gotta make this work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> rangers have this innate independence. Um, and that that can be a really cool role play aspect where they go, I'm good by myself and I don't need to have friends. I don't need to have a group. I don't need to be part of an adventuring party. And that can be a an innate arc that they have where it's like, okay, they suddenly – this ranger, this outlander, maybe hermit learns that, oh, he or she needs civilization in some capacity or he or she needs – a group of people to to help them out and so i think that kind of the rangers kind of jack-of-all-trade nature helps them be a cool character because they have a little bit of of kind of social leverage of being like hell i'll, I'll just go back out to the forest you know um and live right. live by myself and camp and eat you know tiny squirrels that i capture <laughs> like all of that fits into the social uh, leverage they have. But yeah, I think Rangers can use that in a really good way and not in the way of just like sprinting away from civilization as fast as they can and kind of ruining <laughs> the the whole
0: campaign in the process. It is possible, but any class can ruin <laughs> any campaign at any time. Oh, yeah, d- don't underestimate <laughs> the ruining of campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> So now that we've talked about ranger a lot and what we do and mostly don't like, um, what are some interesting character concepts that you guys have that help um, a motivate players into staying with a party, mm-hmm. um, and are just interesting and maybe a little bit outside the box? So
2: I'm thinking of a type of ranger that is a pirate. Oh my god! So their favorite terrain is the coast. <laughs> And they are sailing the high seas. Maybe that they they hunt exotic beasts or maybe they're just helping guide people through uh, reckless waters where other people need to get through like a chain of islands and they're, they're like escorting them. I think that would be like a fun style of campaign where you're hopping from island to island, solving a mystery or looking for treasure.
0: Hmm.
2: And... You would have, you know, this coastal ranger who has really good abilities to navigate the terrain. As Interesting. They go along. Hmm.
0: I'm also seeing a little bit of like Charles Darwin in the Galapagos Islands. Yeah. Like to have a ranger who's got favored <laughs> enemies and favored terrain, but just to find animals.
2: Yeah. Hmm.
1: hmm. Interesting. I think for me, I we I think we talked about this and maybe our counter building or one of our older episodes that there is a type of encounter that is basically you are running from something Mm. like you are, there is something huge and scary and maybe monstrous that is just chasing after you. Um, And I love the idea of the hunter, like the ranger becoming the (laughs) hunted. And so maybe the idea of like a ranger that's on the run, maybe they killed a baby dragon. And, like, the, the dragon mother is after them. Like, I, I love the idea of, like, this ranger getting more than they bargained for and is, like, just sprinting away from a situation that they know they can't handle themselves. Um, and maybe that's what led them to civilization is they're just, like, okay, I, I, there's a big hornet's nest that I messed with and now I'm in deep trouble. I need help. Um, and I love the idea of a character that's like very independent, very strong-willed, um, that's like, I can do this myself. And suddenly they're like, oh my god, this thing is hunting me down and it will slaughter me. So I need a, a gr- companions. I need a party to help me with this huge, monstrous, scary, terrifying thing that's on my tail. Hmm. I like that kind of concept for a ranger.
0: That's good because the the threat is always present in the ranger's life until the players deal with it and it would be a, a constant mm-hmm. issue you know Like maybe it is fighting him it's not like it's it's not always just a threat sometimes it's actually there like maybe it burns down the town that they're staying it in shows that night. up yeah 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 um yeah that's great so my my uh character concept kind of touches david's and jake's a little bit here um, I call it the Beast Trainer, and what this is is a ranger who um, has lived in their watchtower or whatever out in the woods forever. But they have they brought back a few exotic beasts to the civilization a few times, and they made a lot of money doing it. And so now their goal, and the reason they're traveling with these other players, is because they have patrons who are requesting certain beasts. And certain things. <laughs> and so he actually has to go out and find them. So maybe they're, not... they're starting a zoo. Right. So they're like collecting animals to showcase. Or maybe maybe they tell them it's a zoo, but it's actually like one of those... Um, oh, uh, Places where they, they like harvest terrifying. animals. Yeah, that's the dark twist at the end, right? The, the oblivion uh, twist. But yeah, so that's just your whole <laughs> motivation. <It's> just collecting <laughs> yeah. monster babies. Sign me up.
2: Sign oh, I love that. Up.
1: Like the exotic, creepy... You are literally a monster hunter kind of uh, Pokemon
0: (laughs) trainer. Yeah, but like the darker, like imagine a Mind Flayer baby. Like he brings back a tadpole in a jar to like some wizard. And he's like, what are you going to do with that? And the wizard says, none of your business. Oh, that is,
1: yeah, that's terrifying.
0: All right, let's head into the vault. Welcome to the question vault. Every week we answer one of your questions. You can submit them to VoxerCanaPodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. This week's question vault question is from Ken Jewel. Ken says, Hi guys, I just listened to your fighter and wizard class episode and had a few questions. I noticed you didn't mention the purple dragon knight or the blade singer subclasses. I'd love to get your guys two cents about what you do think about them. They're in the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide and are official subclasses. Also, have you read anything on the Unearthed Arcana Mystic yet? It looks super fun and powerful. I would love to hear you all talk about the UA classes and changes in an episode or question vault. Keep the great work, Ken. Thanks, Ken. So Thanks, Ken. <clears throat> after he sent this, I quickly went to D D Beyond, which is my source of all information, and sure enough, the Purple Dragon Knight was added to the official fighter um, class shortly after we recorded that episode. So um, I'll just give you a little uh, little taste. Um, <clears throat> it's got a lot of lore tied to it that I am not loving, but here's what it is. It says, Purple Dragon Knights are warriors who hail from the kingdom of Kormir, pledged to protect the crown, to fight against evil, beyond the kingdom's borders, blah, blah, blah. They're like Texas Rangers for this one kingdom. They have some features mostly relating to being royal. I, I actually have listened
1: to the Dungeons and Dragons uh, official podcast. Uh, in, the, in the lore you should know section, uh, they did... They talked about uh, the Kormir, which is essentially an Arthurian, like a pure Arthurian knight's setting. So it's like a pure fantasy setting that has been untouched by any other outside forces. So there's no orcs. There's no gunpowder. Uh, there's no crazy magic. So it is just a pure fantasy like knights of the round table
0: setting. It's like that's isolationist, is. isolationist Japan, but yeah. for knights.
1: Yes. But for the knights of the round table, like Arthurian okay. myth. So that's where the dragon knight comes from. Um, oh man. I, I, I just heard this. So I'm like, I'm into it too, but I, I don't know enough to, to <laughs> dig into the deep conceptual nature of the dragon knight. What
0: was the dragon knight in? Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Okay. I haven't read that one. No, nobody has. <laughs>
2: so in terms of the Dragon Knight, um, mechanically, it seems... Uh, it is a fighter, so you're still going to be doing a lot of damage. It it offers some utility to the rest of the party. You can heal people when you use your second win, which you can use every short rest. Um, you gain... A bonus in the persuasion skill, which, if you're running, oh, a, that's interesting. So you're going to be wanting to run a high charisma fighter, which, hmm. if you're running a high charisma fighter, you might as well just go with paladin. Um, and then inspiring surge, uh, you you can give someone else an extra attack when you use your action surge, which is it's kind of nice because you get to. Help someone else out in combat, but I think that there are other classes that kind of help your allies in combat better. If you're looking at the rogue, I think that I, I think it's the mastermind mm-hmm. that uh, adds a lot of utility to the rest of the party. Uh, it's mechanically it's okay, but it's it's so thematically cool. So, David, what is yeah.
1: the the core feature of the Dragon Knight? Like, what is the defining difference? Of the other fighter
2: subclasses. Hmm. So I guess um, the the core feature of the the purple dragon knight is their um, is the the group that they're with. You know the the purple dragon knight group. Like that is their. Mm-hmm. They are they're they're knights. They are um, they're going to be people who are more chivalrous. They're this they're almost like a paladin style
0: paladin style fighter. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: And if you're shining looking shining armor. If, if that appeals to you, like that's
0: great. And it's, and still a fighter and fighters are still really good. So yeah. All right. And then, uh, he mentioned the blade singer mm-hmm. wizard subclass, and this, I think was originally found in also in this elves only. Yes. This is a wizard subclass that can only be chosen by elves. Oh, I love this. Uh, obviously one. you can change I that love if this you one. want. Um, I guess the way you describe it is they have this feature they can turn on called blade song and they just kind of, uh, twirl and dance and, uh, and do all kinds of cool things. It's almost like Berserking um, for a barbarian, but a little different. Um but it works in, in a similar fashion.
1: I love this. So really so unique. you gain armor class equal to your intelligence modifier, mm. <laughs> your walking speed increases by ten feet, you have advantage on all dexterity checks, uh, you gain a bonus to any constitution saving throw. Um to maintain concentration on any spell. Like that's awesome blade song Mm -hmm. that it's very interesting because it kind of it alters the wizard into something it it isn't but it's almost like
2: i don't know i i I like this it's almost like a better version of an eldritch knight just because you gain access to such higher level spells that you're going to be um while you are still going to be focused on attacking with a weapon you do gain all sorts of utility that you wouldn't normally have it's really cool yeah
1: because you can't use you can't use medium armor um it has to be light or lower which is interesting so it's kind of risky like you almost blade sing into battle um as like this character that's that's spinning around doing this elaborate dance with your Mm -hmm. with your swords and everything but like if you're hit like you're
0: going down you're
1: in bad shape
0: (laughs) like
1: i i like that the high risk high reward of this kind of highly magical elven thing oh yeah
0: yeah really unique and and very different from war magic which we did talk about on the uh on the episode so um he also asked about ua classes um and that actually something that will be showing up on our patreon in the future
2: oh yes
0: especially the mystic Mm-hmm. So if you want to hear us talk about the newest stuff that's released, um, maybe with a little faster turnaround than our normal episode roll, no promises, but maybe, um, that is where you will find it. That is patreon.com slash Vox Welcome to Review Corner. Every week we read our favorite five-star reviews from iTunes. This week's review is from Gavin the Thief. He says, really liked the discussions and information that was gone over and just the varying opinions and ways of doing things. Thank you, Gavin the Thief. If you want to have your review read on the show, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to Vox Arcana episode 20. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. You can follow us on social media. Our Twitter is Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram are both at Podcast. And you can email us at podcast at gmail.com. It's D&D where two days of travel is resolved in one minute and one minute of combat takes two hours.